PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and my guest today is Becca Simon, an alum who graduated from Puget Sound in 2019. Becca came to Puget Sound from Hillsborough, Oregon, and while she was here, she majored in international political economy and environmental policy and decision making. She now lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today, as always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio right here in Tacoma. Here's Becca. Becca, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me today. I'm really happy you're here. One of the things I like so much about the podcast and that's been so interesting is talking to people who are at all different stages of their sort of Puget Sound adjacent journeys. Mm -hmm. And one reason I'm really excited to talk to you is because you graduated from Puget Sound in 2019, you were sort of at a place that was really interesting for me in terms of when I was a couple years out of college, I'd had some work experience. I was starting to coalesce my ideas about maybe where I wanted my life to go professionally and what that felt like relative to my experiences in school. And I was starting to think about some of the new skills that I wanted to add and where I wanted to go. So I want to talk to you about all of that today, but I'm not going to make you talk about it in the abstract <laughs> right out of the gate. What I, sure. what I want to ask you first is, what are you doing professionally right now? Just help us get oriented to you and where you are in your life at this moment. Of course, yeah. Um, so right now, I am based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm currently doing a fellowship with Repair the World. It's a Jewish-based organization and nonprofit that focuses on mobilizing young Jewish people into acts of service and working towards justice in the world. Um, so currently, I um, am working with two different nonprofits in the area, and I do about 15 hours of service um, where I'm mostly just helping them with support, especially during COVID um, and how they might need to like have extra hands at different events or anything. So I work with um, one organization for 10 hours a week called Grounded Strategies. And they're an amazing organization that um, is taking vacant lots and turning them into green spaces. And there's over 60,000 spaces in Allegheny County that are claimed as vacant. And so there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and so what I do with them mostly is um, basically helping with hands-on work, um, using dig bars to dig out concrete, um, or going and helping fill soil and garden beds or helping build the garden beds. And then now with winter coming around, I'm moving into grants. So I'm all over the place with them, which I love. And then I also spend time with um, this other organization called 412 Food Rescue. And they're a um, food justice organization that works in the Pittsburgh area to reduce food waste. And they do that by using this app called Food Rescue Hero. And essentially anyone can download the app. They can be walking, biking or driving and they're able to go pick up a food rescue that would have been thrown out from a grocery store or restaurant and redistribute that to a nonprofit in the area. And so with them, I'm actually working with their Millville kitchen, which is um, dedicated towards turning surplus food into meals. And these meals are supposed to be kind of more gourmet meals that um, are given out to the community. And eventually they want to turn it into a snap based uh, purchase program so people can buy high quality meals with snap. So that's really amazing. And so that's just one component of what I'm doing right now. The other component is I'm building service projects for young Jewish people in Pittsburgh. And they range from food justice range, environmental justice, education justice, or anything 
um, within those intersections. And all of it has to do with Jewish service learning and making that connection of tikkun olam, repair the world. And it's really amazing work. Um, there's so much to be done, especially in COVID in Pittsburgh. Um, and there's so many great organizations that we support. And so I do a lot just to kind of help bring in these volunteers and create these long-term connections. And this was not your first job out of college, right? This was not. This is actually my second job. Um, last year, the year 2019-2020, right? Yep. <laughs> it's I <think>. been a while. <laughs> I know. It's still March in my head. Um, I was a Food Corps AmeriCorps service member in Ronan, Montana. Um, a lot of people don't know where Ronan, Montana is. I didn't when I first started, um, <laughs> but it is a small um, rural town about an hour and a half north of Missoula, so on the western side of Montana. But essentially with Food Corps, um, I was an AmeriCorps service member for the year working in two elementary schools in Ronan and Pablo, Montana. And so with Food Corps, um, their focus is on nutrition, education, cooking, and gardening. And so they're trying to implement healthy school meals and um, general ideas of healthy lifestyles in the classrooms and connections to gardening in um, areas that are generally seen as a food apartheids or food deserts, depending on um, the definition or that community is using. But um, there, it was just really amazing. I was in the classrooms for K through eighth grade students doing lessons on curriculum connections to their own backgrounds and culture and talking about um, ways we could see more farm to school in our society. And then we also were working on the ground in the school garden doing um, lessons in the garden about what are worms, what are um, ways we can grow our own food, what are ways we can do this at home. Um, and it was just really fun. I mean, we'd also do taste tests in the cafeteria. And so once a month, we paired up with Harvest of the Month, an organization in Montana usually can find those similar organizations all over the country, but um, they work to create localized food systems and help promote farmers, especially in the fact that there's, I guess, around hundred thousand to millions of dollars that are being missed in our economy that could be rerouted just through food systems to our schools of farm to table. And so they do a lot of work to help promote that in the schools. And we do taste tests of things like different brassicas, different beets, you know, um, even talking about beef and milk in Montana, because that is a huge commodity there. Um, and so those were always fun. We would do taste tests. But of course, COVID definitely changed and shifted gears a lot for that. So by the time March hit, I was doing mostly emergency food distribution through the breakfast um, and lunch program at the school, which was amazing seeing the food service director in action. Um, Marsha Wardwick, who was the food service director, was my hero throughout the entire thing. She was dealing through personal health issues, but still working to feed 3,000 or so students in the area just with like a CEP budget, which is essentially where um, around 55% of the students are eligible for breakfast and lunch programs for free or reduced. So then the entire school is um, eligible in that sense. And so she was using a very minimal but budget-based, you know, way of getting food out, but she did it and she got a ton of local food out too. And it was just really great working with her. 
One of the reasons that I asked you to talk about your first job also is because in hearing you talk about the work you're doing now with Repair the World, I am really wanting to um, draw like a one-dimensional narrative about what that might mean for your interests yourself. Obviously, big connecting thread, hunger, food security, food justice, agriculture, farm to table, green space. Is that the connecting thread for you too? Or do you feel like, eh, no, not really. Like I'm actually, there's a different thing that has drawn me to all of these opportunities. Um, I'd say hunger and food justice and food security issues is definitely the huge tie. It's been a a long-term passion for me ever since I'd say end of high school, beginning of college. Um, And it's just always been something that has been very ingrained in me, whether it be based in like, the connection between environmental justice or um, bigger connections between social justice. Um, it's just always been there. <laughs> I definitely got hit with like the bug of the passion for it when I was in um, Emily Piney's food and hunger class. That really just resonated with me throughout college. I actually was introduced to Emergency Food Network through that and got to do an internship with them through the summer immersion internship program. Um, back before it was mostly like this new sophomore rise program so it was really great getting to have that experience that really kind of like made this connection and really helped build these ties for what I wanted to do post-college. One of the things that I imagine you mentioned this but talking about food justice and social justice one of the things that I think about a lot with hunger and this is not going to be groundbreaking but is hunger is such an elemental component of poverty That's something that we talk about a lot in education, think about a lot in education. This will be familiar to you because you have worked in food programs in schools, but that if a kid shows up to school hungry, that is almost an insurmountable obstacle for learning. You are not going to come to school Mm -hmm. not having eaten breakfast and then be able to grasp algebra in the same way you could if you were well-fed or if you were food secure. And I assume again, maybe wrongly, tell me if I'm wrong, that's part of the draw for you in terms of thinking about hunger and food security is how it fits into that larger network of anti-poverty work. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely a draw for me. Um, I think something that really ties me into it is this idea of um, culturally appropriate food and the idea of food justice and how important that is because there is such a difference between hunger and food access, you know, um, Hunger is the sense and the feeling of, you know, not having enough nutrients and access to food versus food access comes in this range of what food you're actually able to get. And food sovereignty is this big movement that we really need to be focusing on as to having your own empowered sense of being able to gain food, grow it, or choose what food you're going to eat. And that's a huge problem in the United States where so many people in food apartheid and food deserts don't have access to culturally appropriate food. I think that's been a big push for me when I was growing up. I'm Jewish and I grew up in a very, um, I would say Christian neighborhood. Um, and so growing up during the holidays, especially the high holidays, I go to any of the grocery stores and there'd be maybe one shelf at the end of the aisle with matzo ball soup uh, mix or like latke mix. And I didn't really understand there was all these other foods until I got to University of Puget Sound, where there's a much larger Jewish community. And I had, uh, luckily, a bigger access to those foods and got to see that cultural side for my own connection to my religion. So I think that's been a big kind of 
connector for me in a lot of ways. You Are you able to see that manifesting in the work that you're doing now also and think about some of the ways in which you, but also you broadly, we as a society can actualize those ideas, some of the tools we have to do it? Yeah, I feel like I've been thinking a lot about that with my position. Um, with Repair the World, we also do partnerships with um, community gardens in the area. And I do um, a lot of volunteer time with, um, it's called Black Urban Gardeners and Farmers Cooperative of Pittsburgh. And it's run by um, Uqui Bay, who is just this amazing woman who has been pushing for um, access to food in uh, mostly Black neighborhoods and Oftentimes, when you look at like things like community gardens, they're often put in, I'd say, predominantly white areas. And often, too, with that same sentiment, farmers market CSA boxes often are targeted towards white populations. And something I've learned a lot from these programs I'm supporting and volunteering with is the importance of stepping back and listening. Um, a lot of times, you know, when we're coming up with these alternative food systems, they can be very, you know, commandeering and almost taking over of a lot of people's access to food. And that's missing the point entirely. Um, and I think the important thing to take away from these conversations is to let communities choose what they need and let them have that choice and have that access and resources to make those decisions. Do you think about then the role of the nonprofit as either being a branch of the community or as resourcing those community groups and sort of liaising to maybe larger national or regional conversations? I think that, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, it's something I think a lot about, especially with nonprofits, is like whether this is, are they a band-aid or are they actually making a change, you know? And that's something important to consider of a lot of nonprofits, whoever you're working with are they actually aiming towards community development and working with the community or are they just there as a way to like kind of continue off of a problem that's already happening and kind of finding a way for them to prolong their presence in the society. So I think that's something everyone should be thinking a lot about post-college, you know, when you're going into a nonprofit world, is this the right match? Are they doing what's right for the world? Yeah. And I also think that sometimes a Band-Aid can be okay, right? Like yeah. sometimes you need a Band-Aid to keep you from bleeding on your shirt. For sure. But yeah. You also want to be thinking, to continue the metaphor, about like, well, why did I cut myself? And how do I actually stop the flow of blood? How do I make sure I don't cut myself again? How do I make sure nobody yeah. else comes again? And those two things can happen. And to your point, mm-hmm. can happen simultaneously. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's, I mean, those, yeah, it's for sure. The Band-Aid is necessary right now, especially when we don't have policies that are in place that actually benefit people or actually are part of people's community development and grassroots movements to actually make changes in the world. So yeah, definitely (laughs) things to consider, but right now, very helpful to have a lot of these nonprofits doing work, especially in COVID, you know, Right. right at the beginning, you know, you saw lines at food banks, which is a huge sign and signal of what's going on and underlying in the food system and all the inefficiencies and disruptions in the market. But right now those nonprofits are doing a lot to put food on people's plates, which is so important. And I'm really glad you brought up the impact of the pandemic on food and eating and food access, because we are having these conversations sort of in a newly public way. 
-hmm. in light of the pandemic and in light of the fact that hunger is now suddenly so prevalent and also so visible and food insecurity. I wonder if you can just speak a little bit more about how in the organizations you've worked with, especially because your work has spanned both pre and now in the pandemic, how have you seen those circumstances just change, if at all, priorities or mission or the range of people you're servicing or initiatives you're working with? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I'd say that, you know, a lot of what you're seeing is almost connection from like the broader community into these issues. You know, like oftentimes we see, you know, food drives happening. We used to do them at um, school at UPS for the athletic department, you know, and like those drives were about once a year, but like with the pandemic, this is an ongoing thing and people are always needing food. And I think that to that point, you know, just because we've had this pandemic, we see that just having one food drive isn't enough, you know, we need to be continuously supporting our communities. And that leads right into the conversations about mutual aid and like, whether that's more sustainable and the importance of having those projects versus, you know, shorter or long-term nonprofit connections. What do international smuggling, wastewater, literature of the African diaspora, and 20th century Chinese art have to do with each other? I'm Brittany Jackson, Assistant Director of Admission and Multicultural Admission Coordinator. And those are just a few of our amazing faculty's research interests. Find out more and discover new topics all together by browsing our website at pugetsound.edu. Now back to PS, the Puget Sound Podcast. One of the other themes that has come up on the podcast again and again, and it's been fun to see what sort of falls out of many people's stories, what a lot of people have in common, is this idea of surprise. And I went to college and maybe I didn't know what I would study or I went to college, I thought I would be really involved in this one thing. And then I discovered something new and I totally changed direction what were your expectations when you first came to Puget Sound? What did you kind of see yourself doing? And then how did that stack up against the direction you eventually found that your studies and now your professional life has taken? Yeah. Um, so when I got into UPS, I remember writing in my college essays how excited and important it was for me to become a foreign service officer after college or work towards that goal. Um, I was really into global development um, and this idea of working internationally right when I started college. And I think something that really surprised me as I kept going through college was maybe I want to do more um, in the United States, in state level or lower or community level. And that's something that really shifted for me. And I was very surprised, you know, by sophomore year, I was like, wait, I really like community-based work and community-based nonprofit organizations. And I realized that I wasn't going the right direction. And so that's when I kind of shifted and I started to realize that I wanted to do more work with people on a city level, on a neighborhood level, you know, that was so much more important and more meaningful for me. Um, Cause I mean, when you look at top-down approaches, there's so minimal interaction with people. And oftentimes there's so many voices that are left out. 
And for me, that wasn't sitting well, right? You know, you hear NGOs and IGOs making these huge decisions for the world. And it's like, are these the right decisions? And so I kind of wanted to flip that in my head and, you know, find other ways to get involved in nonprofit realms or, you know, just work in the community and things like working at Emergency Food Network or Hilltop Urban Gardens. That really shifted how I saw the world and really helped me kind of make that shift in my career choices and wanting to do work on the ground and in the United States on a domestic level. Tell me more about some of those hands-on experiences, both how did you get them? Like where did the idea come from and then how did you make it happen? And once you are in, what were they like? What did you do? What did you learn? Mm -hmm. I think surprisingly, like just based on the major name, being in IP classes actually taught me a lot about what's happening in Tacoma on a smaller level, which was so surprising based on the, you know, being in that major. But I think the way that I was choosing classes shifted my gears with that because I wasn't choosing like broadly international scope classes where, you know, we're talking about global development studies or anything like that. Ended up not doing that emphasis or minor at all. So that helped a little bit. But um, I think for sure being in like Emily Piney's classes and being an environmental policy major just really taught me a lot about getting outside the Tacoma Puget Sound bubble we always talk about. You know, that bubble is so resonant in everything we do at school. um, And it's so important to get out of that and see what's happening in the world. And so once I started taking classes that actually like forced those conversations and created spaces for me to see that, that really did make changes in how I, you know, saw the world and was starting to make choices. Um, And so through those conversations in those classes or experiences like Emily Piney's classes, I did have those connections. So going to Emergency Food Network, I remember that was a class assignment the first time I did that. And um, I was standing in the apple bin sorting apples. And (laughs) I was like, this is great. This is what I feel happy doing, you know, and getting to know the staff at Emergency Food Network eventually after becoming an intern. I saw how passionate they were in those experiences and like I wanted to keep doing these things. And so I was starting to get involved with other organizations, went to a couple of work days at Hilltop Urban Gardens and realized I like gardening too, you know, just like the beauty of growing food is so important and be able to grow your own food is so strengthening and just beautiful in so many ways. And so that was something that really just connected with how I want to move forward in life um so yeah (laughs) I want to tease out one of the things you just said that really resonated with me too so I was a global development minor at Puget Mm -hmm. Sound and I also had the really impactful experience of those classes emphasizing that development can happen everywhere and yeah. that was really transformative for me. Monica DeHart's Cultural Politics of Global Development class has a component where students work with an elementary school in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And the, I, I, I'm going to say implicit, but Monica may have been explicit about this point too. Um, the implicit point of that is the type of development and service and community building work that many of the people taking that class were drawn to does not have to just happen somewhere else with people you think of as Mm -hmm. othered, right? Mm -hmm. But that all of that same work, all of those same skills 
can be put to work in your community also. And I don't know that that's a message that I had really had before that class and certainly not in high school in terms of thinking about where is their need and where can I be a meaningful contributor? That was a, that type of sort of self-reflection about the field was really important for me in the same way that it sounds like it was important for you in thinking about where can I take the values that I have and put them to work. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that like that connection of what is community development, you know, we talked a lot about it broadly in IPE. And I think something we really emphasize within that major and anytime with GDS studies too, is this conversation about you can't just choose one form of development and put it in as the main thing. You know, there's so many ways to go about with development and it's always important to start with that bottom up approach. You know, it's just, I think that perspective really changes everyone once they hit IPE and we talk about theories nonstop, but it's the actual practice and the actual implementation of those conversations. Where is it happening? How is it happening? And who's doing it is so important. And I think that's something that continues to, you know, really live in my mind after graduating from an IPE major. I feel like I've gained so many skills from that major where I'm just like, oh, I didn't even think about that, you know, and that's one of them. Can you give me another example of something that you just sort of remember noticing after you graduated of, oh, I got this skill in college? <laughs> I think the one that stands out to me the most is um, writing. Um, <laughs> with IPE, we wrote so many papers. Um, it really did help my experience after college where I learned so much about like being less of a wordy writer, being more detailed, more succinct, um, doing anything with grants nowadays. I look back to my IPE writing and learn from like mistakes I made in the past or conversations I had with IP professors on how to better write these things. I think that major really helped me become a better writer, both in college and post-college. Are there other things as you sort of now have a little distance from college and think back on your experience where you think, man, I'm so glad I did blank. Or maybe if I hadn't built this skill or had this connection or stumbled upon this interest, then this other part of my life maybe wouldn't have happened in the same linear way. I mean, and maybe we've been talking about a lot of them too. Now that I think about it, we've been talking so much about how you sort of developed this interest in food mm -hmm. security and in agriculture in college. So maybe that's the answer. <laughs> I would say, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think because of the classes I took, because of the people I was connected with, that really did open up a lot of doors and, you know, gave me the knowledge, the experience and people to, you know, work with on how to develop these skills and where I wanted to go with it. So I continue to, you know, work with people who are IP majors and alum from UPS and talk about what they're doing post-college, you know, and have been able to like learn from their experiences in the food system. So I think that's really made such an impact in my life. What's something in your professional work that you feel like you have really learned or a skill you've added again, just in like the last year, year and a half, as you think about how that trajectory has unfolded? I think that would probably have to be, you know, kind of this idea of outreach, you know, 
the importance of getting to know as many people as possible, learning from their experiences, which I think has a lot to do with, you know, when I did a lot of ethnographic studies and stuff, um, the interviews really always stuck with me. And I always wanted to like learn more from people and kind of understand their stories, why they're interested. That was the main takeaway for me. So in my work now, I do a lot of one-on-ones to get to know people, get to know what they're doing, what projects they're working on, how we can help support them. And I think that's something that's always been a helpful skill to take with me. And, you know, I say something that, you know, something that I always say to other people that I'm talking with from UPS or graduating, is just reach out to everyone because they want to talk. They love to tell their stories. They want to help each other. And I think that's like such an important connection to that collectiveness and community that we can continue to keep building, you know, that we're able to help one another, you know. I was helped by UPS alum. I helped to help keeping UPS grads that are coming out of college now. I've had a couple of conversations with students who are graduating soon and just helping them find ways they can get involved. I, that's just great. I mean, the cyclical part of it, like that has been very much a part of my experience too. But I also think that says a lot about the role that the university plays, even in instances where it's not a direct one. Mm-hmm. To be able to have that kind of felt connection to someone and sense of shared experience and that sort of little extra confidence boost of, oh, okay, I can email Becca and ask her questions about what it's like to work in nonprofits because I know that we maybe have a professor in common or I know that there's this sort of sense of shared community buy-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's so true. Um, the reason I got into Food Corps was because of Mallory Steffen, who is an IP major, is the Montana program director. Um, and so I reached out to her because she was a UPS alum and gained so much from that conversation, made that decision that I wanted to apply. And so I just like hope that we continue this process and everyone's able to kind of learn from that. Because I feel like UPS isn't a competitive like environment in a lot of ways. It's a very let's work together kind of personality that comes off from many of the students and they want to help support each other, whether or not it's connected to like their major or their interests or post-college or in college, you know, there is just that, you know, idea of community that I've always loved. And Becca, what's next? That's sort of an unfair question to ask. (laughs) I hate when people ask me that question, Mm -hmm. but do you have now that you've, spent some time seeing what your academic interests look like when they're applied. Do you have a sense of what you want to do? Do you feel like I'm just looking for opportunities that seem exciting and taking them as they come? That is a really good question, Melina. Um, (laughs) What is next? Um, I deserve that answer too. (laughs) um, So (laughs) my fellowship ends in July um, and I'm still trying to figure out what's next for me, but I I'm definitely more intrigued to get involved with a lot of the nonprofits in the Pittsburgh world or also open to like going somewhere else in the country. I'm still figuring out whether I want to do another fellowship program like this, but I know in the long run, eventually grad school will be in the picture. What major or focus is still up in the air, but I'm leaning towards public policy. Um, I've always had this draw, especially after food core about, nutrition in schools. And I think that's something that I'd like to explore a lot more, whether that's in my next step in my career or further down the line when I'm in a grad program. But 
I think that this connection of how do we make changes from another level in connection with communities, it's like something I definitely want to learn whether I want to be involved with it or if I should be involved with it. So I'm still exploring, but very open right now. we end every episode of the podcast by asking folks the same four questions. Great. The first question <laughs> is, where is your favorite place on campus? Uh, I'd have to say Diversions Cafe. Um, I'm sure that one comes up a lot, but <laughs> it is a great spot. I love Stumptown Coffee from because I'm truly an Oregonian at heart. Um, and so when I got to UPS, that was the best place to be. Um, I got my regular caffeine flow and it was just the spot where I got to see all my friends. I did a lot of work, had a lot of these conversations about what I was going to do next in life and talk to people about what they were doing. And it, it was just the starting point for where I was having these meaningful conversations and what I'm doing now. So <laughs> I think true place of heart for me. What are you reading right now? I am currently reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, which is um, an amazing book talking about ecology, indigenous traditional knowledge, and this connection to society. It's been a truly beautiful book. I really want everyone to read it. Um, I was suggested it last year when I was doing Food Corps, and it talks a lot about the spiritual connection to the plants that we are living with and these ideas of moving past the context or constructs and conversations we usually have about Western beliefs and ideologies about plants and this breaking the barriers of science and biology, which often um, take away the emotional and spiritual connection to plants and, you know, flip that and have these conversations about indigenous traditional knowledge and these, um, I guess, just deeper ties to nature that we usually have, just thrown out the door based on our usual Western beliefs in science. What's the best place to eat in Tacoma? Uh, I used to go to Brewer's Row a lot. Um, loved just going there with friends after lacrosse and having some tacos or on the weekends. Honestly, my junior year summer spent probably once a week at Brewer's Row. So if you haven't gone there yet, check it out. <laughs> and lastly, Becca, why is Puget Sound special? I think Puget Sound is special um, in so many ways. Uh, but I think that the biggest thing that always connected with me is the reason, you know, that we're able to get out of that bubble and we're able to see the power and amazing community that's built around Tacoma and see how much work they're doing to make changes that actually affect people and create um, spaces of strength, access, and just general like connections between person to person. Um, I think the professors and departments do an amazing job of doing that. So many clubs at UPS do that. And like a lot of students come in with a lot of narrow focus and what, what they're going to do. And once they break out of that bubble, they see this whole new perspective on the world. And I think if you haven't done any outside of class things, I know everyone's off campus right now, but hopefully once you're back and things are hopefully back to normal post-vaccine life, um, I just say go out, get involved in nonprofits in the area, get involved in mutual aid groups, 
just get to know the city and the community that lives there. Becca Simon, thank you for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for PS, the Puget Sound Podcast.